بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد ما شاء الله in our series of the ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise just to remind us of the hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned these ten individuals starting from Abu Bakr siddiq radiyallahu anhu they also happened to all come together on that one occasion when the Prophet ﷺ was sitting there by the well and then they all came in and the Prophet ﷺ made this statement and it's not only then that he said that they are going to Jannah there were a number of other occasions that he mentioned about each one of these different individuals when we mention these individuals we believe that the mercy descends why does it descend? why do we say that mercy descends when the Salihin are mentioned. The reason that I say that mercy de- descends when the Salihin are mentioned is because when they are mentioned, people's hearts become soft. People think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They get inspired to piety and righteousness. That's all mercy. That's all the mercy. If, if the mention of something can bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and can increase our obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our inspiration, then that is a mercy. That's how we say that there's barakah and blessing in the mentioning of these people. (coughs) May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to follow in their footsteps and to be inspired by them, inspired by their strength, their quwwah, their strength of their faith, their diligence, and their love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Today we speak about Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, Sayyiduna Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu Again, another amazing personality. It's just so difficult to try to work out who's greater. That's why we say all of them are great. So Sa'd, son of Abu Waqqas. Sa'd, the son of Abu Waqqas. Abu Waqqas is the title of his father. He is a Qurashi, originally from the Qurayshis, uh, Zuhri tribe. He was born in either the 23, uh, uh, he, w- he was either born, uh, he, he died in, let's just talk about when he died, he, was, he died around the 55th Hijri, and that is approximately 674 Gregorian. He's also from the Sabiqun, Sabiqun al-Awwalun. Most of the Ashara Mubashara, the 10 given the glad tidings of Jannah, they are also from the Sabiqun al-Awwalun, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers and mentions in the Quran. As-sabiqun al-awwalun means those who are pioneers in the faith, the first to accept something. They're the ones who, generally people who, the early adopters, they show the highest love, generally speaking. There's a narration that's related by Abu Ya'la, in which it's related from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu. Kunna julusan inda Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We were once sitting with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam suddenly said, Yadkhulu alaykum min hadhal babi rajulun min ahli al-jannah. A person who's going to come in from this door, there's going to be a person who will come in from this door and he's from the people of jannah. Now you can just imagine what people will be thinking and suddenly Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas comes in. So it's not just on that one occasion that they were given the glad tidings of Jannah. The different Sahaba, some of them were given glad tidings in different times as well. He says that 
Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas says that I became Muslim when I was 19 years old. That's when he embraced Islam. When he was 19 years old. Now you have to have a thought process to go against the grain of your tribe and your society and to take this on because this Islam was not after it had spread. It was still when it was very much secret because he was either the third or the seventh person, he says. He reckons he's the third person. But according to maybe others, they say he's the seventh person to become a Muslim at the age of 19. That means he must be very thoughtful. He made a very good choice at that time. One is it becomes very popular. Everybody accepts the trend. Everybody goes in. Then you follow suit. But the, those who make the early decision and get it right from the beginning, subhanAllah, that's where the kamal and perfection is. It's related from his daughter Aisha. She says that, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas says that I saw in my dream. Now this was before he became a Muslim. He says, I saw a dream before I became a Muslim. It was like I was in a dark room. I was in a dark room and I couldn't see anything when suddenly I spotted the moon. So from the window or wherever, he noticed the moon. So I went out and I started following this moon. And then suddenly I saw that there are people who are ahead of me in following this moon in trying to find where this moon is. So I see Zayd ibn Haritha, Ali ibn Abi Talib, and Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an. Now he may be saying third because he doesn't know about the women. Khadija was the first. Right? Ali radiallahu an was the first child. Abu Bakr was the first adult. Zayd ibn Haritha was the first slave to become Muslim. So he may have not known about these others, so he says this anyway. He says, I saw all of these people had gone ahead of me in this. And then I see myself asking them the question, when did you get here? They said, oh, we just got here now as well. And then they told me that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi or after that, I was told that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the Messenger of Allah was inviting people to Islam discreetly, secretly. This was still in those early days when it was all secret. So then I had a meeting with him in the in the ravines of Ajiyad. Now, most of us know where Ajiyad is. It's behind the king's palaces. You know where some of these hotels are. It's still an old area. It's not been destroyed yet. That's Ajiyad. I met him there in one of the ravines. The Prophet ﷺ had just performed Asr prayer and that's when I embraced Islam. And he said that, except those people that he just mentioned, there was nobody else who became Muslim before me, according to his knowledge. So he was, according to him, seven or the seventh, uh, the seventh one. Now, what's very interesting here is that, as I mentioned this last time as well, that Abu Bakr anhu is the one who gets all of this investment. He is profiting from all of this investment. And even from us today. When Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu embraced Islam, then with Abu Bakr, through his persuasion, da'wah, invitation, a number of the other greatest Sahaba, Zubayr ibn al-Awam, another one of the ten, Uthman ibn Affan, the third Khalif, as we know, radiallahu Talha ibn Ubaidillah, another one of the ten, Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, and Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, another one of the ten. He's got so many of the ten that he is responsible for. That's the most amazing thing, subhanAllah. The da'wah, serious da'wah. 
Don't just do da'wah because it's a movement and uh, because you need something to do. Do it for the sake of Allah. And then you will see what happens. This is what you call serious da'wah, investment. Allahu Akbar. And Allah keeps all of this. Allah keeps record of all of this. So they embraced Islam and then they went with him to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the Prophet Sallallahu explained, gave them the da'wah, read some Quran to them, told them about the haq of Islam. And then SubhanAllah, this is who they were. The issue with Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas was that when he became a Muslim, his mother who followed the trend of the society of the time, the culture, she, they used to have a lot of love for each other. It was very beloved to him. And when she found out about this, she warned him. She says that I am not going to eat or drink until you give up this faith. And she was very serious. She did this for a short while and then she realized and he actually said to her, Oh mother, I love you so much. But this is something I will never give up now. Regardless of what you do, it doesn't matter if you have a thousand lives. This was his discourse with her. And she understood that this is not going anywhere. So she stopped and then she was fine. And then it mentions that Sa'ad says that it was about myself that the verse in Surah Luqman was revealed. وَإِن جَاهَدَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُشْرِكَ بِي مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٍ فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا وَاتَّبِعْ سَبِيلَ مَنْ أَنَابَ إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ إِلَيَّ مَرْجِعُكُمْ فَأُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ Despite what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had said about the, in the Qur'an about parents, so much so that don't even say uff to them, وَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا uff وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا And all of these other verses. Here when it comes to a compromise with religion, then it doesn't work. If they force you to do shirk and to ascribe with me that which you have no knowledge about, there's no truth in it, then do not obey them, he says here. But still interact with them nicely, with khair and goodness in this world. You still have to do that with your parents regardless, regardless. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, he has a very interesting relationship with the Prophet His father's name, Abu Waqqas, is actually his title, his kunya, his agnomen. His real name is Malik, Malik ibn Wahib. It's Malik ibn Wahib or Uhaib ibn Abd Munaf. Abd Munaf, he joins up. Ibn Zuhra, Ibn Zuhra, Ibn Kilab. So it's at Kilab where he joins with the Prophet ﷺ because the Prophet's ancestry also goes to Kilab ibn Murra ibn Ka'b, ibn Luwa ibn Ghalib, ibn Fihr and so on. However, he is actually from the Banu Zuhra. They are a clan of the mother of Rasulullah ﷺ, Amina bint Wahab. So in that sense, he actually is in the position of a maternal uncle to the Prophet ﷺ. He's a maternal uncle, Khalu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's why Jabir ibn Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Haram relates that once Sa'ad radiallahu anhu came in and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Hadha Khali, this is my uncle. Fal-yurini imru'un khalahu. Show me, any person, show me who is their uncle. And this is my uncle. Show me who is your uncle. This is related in the Sunnah of Imam Tirmidhi. He had three brothers. 
Amir ibn Abi Waqqas, Utbah ibn Abi Waqqas, and Umair ibn Abi Waqqas. Out of them, we know that Amir and Umair, they definitely were Muslims. They embraced Islam, and one of them died in the Battle of Badr. About Utbah, it's, there's a difference of opinion whether he embraced Islam or not. But it is known that when Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas anhu migrated from Makkah to Medina Munawwara, he went with his brother Umair. And they, apparently his brother Utbah, the one we say may have not become a Muslim, had had a little problem in Makkah before, before this time, before Islam. He'd killed somebody or he was, incriminate, uh, he was uh, incriminated in some case of murder or something. So he'd left Makkah and he, he had settled in Medina Munawwara in the Banu Amr ibn Auf. So when his brothers came over, they settled with him. They, they first came to him. Then in Medina Munawwara, there's a very famous narration that once the Prophet as Aisha radiallahu anha relates, that one night the Prophet just said, this was earlier on, the Prophet said, Later, Rajulan Salihan bin Ashabi Yahrusuni al Layla. If only one of my companions could come and guard me at this night. This Prophet just voiced this. And suddenly they hear the sound of uh, some weapons outside you know a sword or something so they knew somebody's outside the Prophet ﷺ said man hadha who is this he said Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas ana ya Rasulallah jitu ahrusuk I've come to guard you so the Prophet ﷺ slept very peacefully that night but after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said wallahu ya'asimuka minan nas Allah will protect you from the people he said I don't need any more guards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him guarantee and protection we have a security company for you, don't worry, nobody can see it. But it's a security company that nobody can go over. No barbed wires, no guard at the door, no weapons, no cameras, nothing. It's, it's a very special one, nobody's discovered it yet. As we know with all of these Sahaba in this early period of Islam, it mattered which battles they took part of because that showed that they were on the defense. They showed that they were part of the community and thus the first one which was the battle of Badr in this one Sa'ad radiallahu definitely took part and he had a very interesting and unique experience in this a very praiseworthy experience Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu relates it he says that I saw Sa'ad as a amazing warrior in this battle the way he was fighting and going through the lines his brother Umair was killed and martyred during this battle. And Sa'id ibn Abi Waqqas, he killed Sa'id ibn al-As, one of the disbelievers, and he took his sword. His sword was very famous. This Sa'id ibn al-As, he had a very famous sword that had a, a name. It was called Dhul Qutayfa. It's a very interesting sword. So, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, after he killed him, he took the sword, he went to the Prophet and he said, can I keep this? And the Prophet said, no, go and put it in the, in the general booty. And it'll be decided who it's going to be given to later. So Sa'ad came back, he gave it in, and then Surah Al-Anfal was revealed. And in there it mentions the, the rulings with regards to the spoils of war. So the Prophet said to him, go on, you can, you can go and get your sword now. This is your sword now. So this was an interesting thing that happened. He also captured two prisoners during the Battle of Badr. He is known to be the first person. He's known for some firsts. He is known to be the first person to fire an arrow in the path of Allah. 
He was an expert marksman. And he was the first to fire an arrow in the path of Allah. In fact, in one of the first skirmishes uh, during the expedition of Badr, in the beginning, there were some Qurayshis that came up. There were some people of Mecca that came up and there was a small skirmish. And he's the first person who wounded somebody in the path of Allah as well. He's also the last of the Muhajireen to pass away from this earth. So he's a very interesting character. Now, during the Battle of Uhud now, you know, this is the one where they were winning initially and then halfway through there was a bit of a problem when the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned to these 50 archers to remain where they were, but they thought that the battle was won and over and thus they moved and Khalid bin Walid, uh, who was on the other side at this time, he came and there was a counter attack and then there was a bit of a there was a bit of a commotion in that one. So it's said about him that during uh, uh, Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, that during the battle of Uhud, he remained with the Prophet He did not scamper anywhere. And he was one of the marksmen, people with the, with the bow and arrow. And Zuhri relates that Sa'd on that day must have fired a thousand arrows. Now, do you know what that means? Have you, have you fired an arrow? Have you done any practice? If you go, you know, they have these pra archery practices. It is not easy to fire an arrow. You have to really, it's not like firing a gun. Firing a gun is a different story, right? There's a recoil and so on, depending on the caliber of the gun. That's a different story. When it comes to an arrow, you have to, especially if you're going to get somewhere with it, the, it requires a lot of effort. And a thousand... In, a, in, in one battle, in a day, in a thousand of them. That's not an easy thing. You do five and your shoulder will be hurting. If you're doing it properly. So this is, uh, I mean, this is obviously us. We're unfit. So. And the Prophet ﷺ is making dua for him. He's saying, Irmi, fidaka abi wa ummi. Keep shooting. Shoot, shoot. My father and mother be sacrificed for you. And that's why Ali radiallahu anhu says in this hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, that I have heard the Prophet I've never heard him say that my parents be sacrificed for anybody other than Sa'd He's the only one he's made this statement for. And you can tell this special connection with the Prophet He's not Ashara Mubashara for nothing. This is not an arbitrary group of people. These are very special people who've proven their worth. Sa'ad himself says during the battle of Uhud, he says that I saw on the right of the Prophet and on his left, two men that had totally white garments on. I've never seen them before and I never saw them again. They were Jibreel and Mikail. This was during the battle of Uhud. Sahih Muslim narration. Then of course he took part during the Ghazwatul Khandaq. He gave the bay'ah during the Hudaybiyyah. So he was there in all of the major expeditions. And then of course he was there in Fathu Makkah, in the conquest of Makkah, which was a very simple process eventually. But he was one of the three flag bearers of the Muhajireen. He was given one of the flags of the Muhajireen to bear on that day. And all the other expeditions he had accompanied the Prophet ﷺ. Now what happens is the Prophet ﷺ departs this world 
And then comes Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu's time for about two years and five months or so. And then you get to Umar radiallahu anhu's time. Now we've dealt with this in a bit, a bit of detail previously with Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. However, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, his focus was Sham. He was the commander of Sham. And as you know, Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anhu was the commander first in Iraq and Persia. Then he was moved from there by Umar radiallahu anhu and he was sent to Sham to help them there. And then after that, Abu Bakr, uh, Umar radiallahu anhu put Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah in charge of Sham, though Khalid bin Walid continued there. This one is focused on Iraq. Now he is, uh, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas is the conqueror of some of the greatest cities of the Persian Empire. And these cities, I don't think Rome had any comparison to in those days, in that sense. You're talking about the city of Madain. Madain is called Madain, the pearl of Medina. It's basically the cities of cities, a group of cities. Today it's nothing. It had the major Iwan of Kisra, the major arch of Kisra. This was the Khosros, this was the center of the great pompous Persian Empire. This was the Iwan of Kisra, Madain. Number of other cities, Jalula, Qadisiyah. He was the commander in Qadisiyah. Qadisiyah is, anybody who's read history there will know Qadisiyah. This was a, this was an amazing, you know, it, it brings back ajeeb memories. So anyway, before all of, just to give you an idea, before all of that, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu took Khalid bin Walid from Iraq and he sent him to Sham, north. When Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu then passed away, Umar radiallahu anhu made Abu Ubaidah Thaqafi, the commander of the forces, all the, the, the general commander of all of the forces of Iraq. And this was in the 13th year of Hijrah. So the Prophet passes away in 1011. Abu Bakr is there for two and a half years. In 13th Hijri is Umar radiallahu's first year or so. And he does this. Abu, Am Abu Ubaidah Thaqafi is the commander of the forces of Iraq. However, it was only a few months that he lasted because he became shaheed and martyred during the Battle of the Jisr, the famous Battle of Jisr. There's a wonderful book called The Four Khulafa, which is uh, published by Torah Publishing. It's called The Four Khalifs. It has all of this in great detail. Anyway, after Abu Ubaid al-Thaqafi is martyred, the Persians, they consolidate their forces. And they make Yazdajird, Yazdajird, they make him their leader. Then what happens is because they see some weakness, they feel that there's a weakness now in the Muslims because their leader has died and been killed, martyred. So a number of the areas that had already been taken were under the dhimma, the protection, they were giving jizya. They threw out their Muslim governors and they refused to pay jizya because they thought that there's no point doing this anymore. Umar became extremely angry. He said, this cannot happen. He decided himself in Muharram of the 14th Hijri to depart himself and take part in this himself. You can imagine the seriousness of the situation with this. He says, Ali will become the governor of Medina in my absence. Then he decided to form a majlis 
to make a mashwara, to consult with the major sahaba of the time as to when they should depart, how they should depart and so on. The announcement made that salat, salat time, everybody is together. And Umar radiallahu anhu called for Ali radiallahu anhu and he came to Medina Munawwara. And then he asked everybody and he said that this is what I want to do. And they all agreed, yes, you should go. Except Abdurrahman ibn Auf. Remember, he's also from the Ashra Mubashar. He said, except Abdurrahman ibn Auf. He said, no, I fear that if anything happens to you, then the Muslims will become very weak around the world in all the areas that are there. And as soon as he said this, you know, he said that I think you should send somebody else in your place and you should stay in Medina Munawwara. This is your place. So subhanallah, they understood the wisdom in this. And Umar says, okay, fine. Who do you think then we should send? So Abdurrahman is saying, Qad wajidtu, I have a man. I have a man for this. Who is it? He said, Al-Asadu fi barathinihi. This is the lion with his claws out. This is the lion with his paws out. And this is who? Uh, lion talking about valor. He's out there. He's the bravest man there. Sa'd ibn Malik al-Zuhri. Sa'd ibn Malik al-Zuhri. This is Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas. His dad's name is Malik al-Zuhri. They all loved what he said. Umar approved of that. They called Sa'd and then he made him the commander of Iraq. And as he was departing, he gave him a certain number of nasiha. He says, look, you are the uncle of the Prophet But don't use that as your means of staying back from other piety and righteousness. No relationship, no connection, no ancestry will benefit without piety for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he gave him a number of advices. And he said to him, you are going to embark upon a very, very difficult voyage. This is a very difficult task that you've taken on. For sabr, sabr. Have a lot of patience and perseverance on what's going to now be confronted by you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather in you the fear of Allah. And know that the fear of Allah comprises in two things. The fear of Allah comprises in two things. Number one, in His obedience. This shows that you're fearful if you are obeying Him. And number two, in abstaining from his disobedience. That proves you have the fear of Allah. If you don't do these things, you have no fear of Allah. And he says that the obedience of the one who obeys Allah is by him disliking the aspects of this dunya and his loving the akhirah. That is what it means to be obedient to Allah. And anybody who's disobeying, then it means he does it out of love for this world and hatred for the hereafter. And he said that hearts have a reality. Hearts have a reality and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala produces in there two things. One is external and one is internal. One is external, one is internal. The external thing is that a person, his, anybody who praises him or criticizes him is the same for him. He is not bloated by praise and he is not demoted by criticism. He knows where he is. If he has the real reality of Islam in his heart, then these things don't matter to him. So this is the external aspect. And he said in turn, the internal aspect, internal aspect, something that works in a different way is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make him beloved to the people. 
He says that if Allah loves somebody, then He will cause the people to love Him. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't like somebody, He will cause the people to hate Him as well. فَاعْتَبِرْ مَنْزِلَتَكَ You should test your position. عِنْدَ اللَّهِ بِمَنْزِلَتِكَ عِنْدَ النَّاسِ You should test your position with Allah by how people are treating you. It's all reflective. So Sa'ad radiallahu anhu goes out and he departs to Iraq in 6,000, force of 6,000. When he gets there, then he combines the forces and he takes over the leadership of all of them. Umar radiallahu anhu then supports him, strengthens him with a number of other things until finally they get to Qadisiyah. When they're at Qadisiyah, they are 30,000. That's a long way away from 313 in the Battle of Badr. And from a thousand in the battle of Uhud. It's a long way from there, 30,000. Some say 36,000. But listen, wait till you hear how many the Romans were. So Qadisiyah, it's a long story. I'm not going to go into details of these battles. I just want to tell you about Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped amazingly during this time. When the two forces met, Sa'ad, unfortunately, he had to stay back. He couldn't take part in the battle. And some people were complaining he doesn't fight in the battle. And the reason is that he had, at that time, he was suffering from sciatica. It's called irkun nasa in Arabic. Sciatica, and he had boils on his body. Couldn't stand on a horse. Anybody who's had a boil will know that you don't mess with boils. They, are, they, they, they can really make you upset. They can really cause you a lot of turbulence. So what he was doing is he was propped up on a number of pillows in the fort, wherever he was, and he was watching the battle from there and he was directing everything from there. No TV screen, no cameras, nothing. He was just doing it from there. The Muslims, as I said, were 30,000. The Persians were 200,000. And they just bought 33 elephants for good measure. Elephants were these weird things that people didn't know how to deal with. The Arabs didn't know how to deal with them. Right. However, despite this massive difference in the number of forces of each, 10,000 of the Persians are killed in this time. 10,000. And from the Muslims, about 2,500. But they take over. Then they move from there to Madain. And the first they take one side of this. The Madain, I believe, is on the Tigris River. It's on the Tigris River. So they take this side first. But this is the glorious place where there's so much treasure and gold. And these huge buildings, the arch. It's, there's still a part of this arch left today. There's some remnants of it. Right? When Yazdarjird, he was in originally in... Madain, but when he discovered that they had taken the outer area, then he ran with his entire, escape with his entire family and a number of others, and he took a lot of the treasure. So, eventually, the long story short, this battle does take a few days. It's a long story in there. I don't have the time for that. But he goes in, they go into, they go into Madain. Madain is called Tessifan. It's an ancient city in English. They call it Tessifan, Latin, they call it Tessifan. And they take over the Iwan of Kisra, the Arch of Kisra, and his entire area. 
and he makes that a musalla, makes that a place of prayer. And then after that, he, all of these Muslim families who were with him with the Sahaba and the Tabi'een and the others, he asked them, whoever wants to stay in Madain and settle there, they can, they can stay there. Then after that, he sends a small contingent to go behind Yazdajird because they're going to regroup somewhere and come back. Some of these forces that he sent, they found Yazdajird, they're all killed and they get the huge treasure that comes from there. On that day, the amount of booty that was received by the Muslims was enormous. It's one of the greatest booties that were received during this time. We're talking about pure gold things that were received. Sa'ad sends one-fifth of the spoils of war to Medina Munawwar to Umar as is, the, uh, as is the ruling. Salman al-Farsi is made in charge. He's with him. Salman al-Farsi is made in charge of distributing the rest among the uh, forces of the Muslimin. When it gets to Medina Munawwara, this fifth portion, in there is the bracelet, the bangles, the bracelets of the Khosros. And this, these are given to Suraqa ibn Malik ibn Ju'shum And this was because of a prophecy that the Prophet had said to him that you will be given the bangles of the Khosros of Persia. And this was in a time when you could never imagine, never imagine, those were the superpowers of the world. That you are going to be wearing the bangles of this man. It's amazing. They, they took his crown and everything. Anyway, these were given to Suraka ibn Malik ibn Ju'sham and the prophecy. It became a reality. Now what happens is in the 17th year. So, you know, a few years after this. Umar anhu receives news that the Arabs, the people who had gone from the Arabian Peninsula, you know, of course, lots of people had become Muslim there and the, the, a lot of the Iraqis and the Persians had become Muslim, so they, they were extended there. However, the Arabs, they were all becoming very weak. Skins and their, they were becoming very dry. Their color had changed. It, the environment there was just very difficult for them to bear because they were so used to this desert environment of, of Arabia. So Umar anhu wrote to Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, and he said to him, tell me what is causing all of this problem. So Sa'ad wrote to him, he says, it's the unfavorable conditions. The weather is just not suitable for us. Because Arabs from that area, whatever, and the way he explained it is that whatever areas are suited for camels, then those would be suited for the Arabs there as well, because they like the same kind of environment. So Umar then said to him, send Salman al-Farsi Salman al-Farsi must have been very old at this time because he was already old when he was in Medina Munawwara Send Salman al-Farsi and Hudayfa radiallahu an go out scouting they should go out to scout out an area that they think will be appropriate Now remember there's no Baghdad in those days there's no Kufa and there's no Basra the famous cities of Iraq so one takes the east of the Euphrates River. Now the Euphrates River, which is further east of the Tigris. The Tigris is, uh, the Tigris is further west. And it's very long. It's very long. It goes all the way into, uh, it, it, it goes all the way into Turkey. It's a very long river. So... Umar said to him that I want you to send these two people to find the location that is very good 
but it has to be a place where between us in Medina Munawwara and it there is no river or there is no bridge I don't want any obstacles in our path it needs to be just land in between us so Salman radiallahu an he goes out to the west he goes out to the west of which is in the direction of Saudi Arabia in the direction of Arabia as well the west of the Euphrates River and he's not happy with anything until he comes to this place which is now called Kufa well today it's actually called Najaf Kufa there's not much left of it the bigger city it looks like Najaf is the more famous city so Kufa is right next to Najaf and it's probably south southwest of Baghdad Basra is much more southeast that's a much bigger city today Basra is a big city however the masjid of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas still exists of course it's probably been rebuilt just like Amr ibn As masjid in Cairo still exists Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas's masjid in Kufa still exists today so he found this place Hudayfa radiallahu an he went on the east of the Euphrates and he goes up because it ha there has to be water right so they're looking at the bank of the Euphrates he goes on that side and he also comes to the same place and thinks this is the perfect location so when they meet up there Sa'ad radiallahu anhu he says okay this is where we're gonna build and he tells the families in Madain you can either stay here or you can move to Kufa now you understand where Ali finally went to Kufa eventually Abdullah ibn Masood was in Kufa Imam Abu Hanifa is born there you have all of these other great scholars there and the second greatest tradition after Medina Munawwara is in Kufa afterwards became the greatest center of learning in Iraq just followed by Basra afterwards he initially said that the houses must be must be made of wood wood cane or something like this but then there was a fire that took place so then after that he allowed that they built with unbaked bricks but Umar anhu said that nobody should have more than three rooms nobody should have more than three rooms well, three bedroom houses we have right we have we need attics and so on as well don't we conversions anyway and they should not make them too high as the hadith mentions sign of day of judgment they should not go too high then Sa'ad radiallahu anhu was made the governor of Kufa so he is the first governor of this first city established by the Muslims under Umar radiallahu anhu 18th Hijri Sa'ad radiallahu makes this masjid in the 20th Hijri the peop some people in Kufa take a complaint of him to um make a complaint of him to Umar radiallahu anhu Umar radiallahu anhu dismisses him he puts in his place Ammar ibn Yasir as the governor of Kufa. Their complaint was that he doesn't pray properly. Namaz barabar nahi padta hai bhai. That's what they said. Imam sahab namaz nahi padhe barabar. This is, even in those days you had people, right? Saying things like this. Umar radiallahu anhu sent for Sa'ad radiallahu anhu. He said, Ya Aba Ishaq, these people, they are claiming that you don't pray properly. La tuhsin tu salli. So Sa'ad radiallahu anhu said, Ya Allah, Amma ana, fa wallahi fa inni kuntu usalli bihim salata rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I am praying, I am leading them in the same way 
as the prayer of Rasulullah And I'm not making any shortcomings in this regard, no discussions in that regard. I make Salat of Isha, I make the first two rakats long, and I make the last two rakats short. I keep them light. Umar radiallahu anh said, bika ya Aba Ishaq. That is what I thought about you. That is, all, that is what I've been thinking about you all along. Like, I, don't, I don't agree with the criticism. Then he sent with him Muhammad ibn Maslama to Kufa. So he sent Sa'ad with Muhammad ibn Maslama to Kufa to make an inquiry, to ask the different places in Kufa, what is the problem? Because again, this is one man's word against another. One complaint came in, Sa'ad gave him a response. He wants to find the reality. They went to every single masjid and every single masjid praised him. Except when they get, got to this masjid called the uh, Masjid of the Banu Abbas. One man got up among them when they asked this question and he said, Since you are asking us, his name was Usama ibn Qatada, Abu Sa'da, his, his, his title was Abu Sa'da. He said, Since you are really asking for a response and a view, then Sa'ad, he has three problems. He doesn't go out in the expeditions, meaning he doesn't go out in the battles. He doesn't distribute fairly, equally. And number three, he doesn't give just judgments. Major criticism, this is really big issues. So Sa'ad there and there he said something. He's a wali of Allah. He said, Ama wallahi I'm going to make three du'as right now. I'm going to make three du'as. Allahumma in kana abduka hadha kathiban, qama riya'an wa sum'atan, fa'atil umrahu, wa'atil faqrahu, wa'arridhu bilfitan. He said, O oh Allah, if this servant of yours here, is lying and has just got up for show and fame just to be somebody then extend his life extend his poverty long life with poverty ya allah what a misery extend his life extend his poverty and have him confront different trials and mischief if he's telling that if he's lying after that, this person used to be this old, this old pervert. Essentially, that's the word. He used to try to touch little girls. And he used to try to touch them and do things, you know. And he was known for this. And so he was even asked, like, why did you do this? And he said, Shaykhun kabirun maftoonun. This is an old man who has been challenged by this mischief and problem asabatni da'watu sa'din sa'd's dua has reached me that's why I don't ever mess with the awliya i remember once somebody speaking to another scholar and he was just about to speak about a particular individual and probably about to criticize him and immediately the other the scholar said to him look stop he's a wali of allah something will happen to you if you say this be careful I mean, you know, when is there's genuine something, then you're allowed to criticize. But when it's just criticism on rumors and things of this nature, one has to be very careful. If somebody is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
then we are in big trouble if we come in their way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't like it. Then after this, Umar radiallahu anhu, he is on his last few hours. And as you know, the last few days of Umar and we've read this in detail, we've studied this in detail. Umar anhu, towards the end, after he is attacked, he builds, he, he forms this shura of six people along with Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu. And what does he say about these six people? He said, these are the people that when the Prophet passed away, he was happy with them and satisfied with them. So, these are the six people that formed them. And we've read this in, in detail in Umar radiallahu's life. We've read it in detail. So, when they got together after Umar radiallahu passed away, as you know, three of them gave their position, their share over to the other side. They said, look, we give it over to this person. So uh, when you had Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, he said, Ja'altu amri ila Abdurrahman ibn Auf. He gave, he says, my position I give to Abdurrahman ibn Auf. Zubayr said, I give mine to Ali radiallahu And Talha said, I give mine to Uthman. Right. So now, who's left? Abdurrahman ibn Auf. Uthman and Ali. Abdurrahman said, okay, I'm going to act as the mediator between you two. So he's out. And then after that, he's the one who chose between Ali and Uthman radiallahu anh, And he chose Uthman radiallahu So Sa'ad radiallahu was out of it. Now you also know from the discussion we had of Uthman radiallahu anh's time and then Ali radiallahu anh's time and all the fitna between Muawiyah radiallahu anhu and Ali radiallahu anhu and then Aisha radiallahu anhu and, and Zubair and Talha radiallahu anhum and the battle of the camel, the battle of Sifin. You know that whole story last time that we had. Where was Sa'ad in all of this? Remember he's Ashara Mubashar, he's one of the prominent Sahaba. After Uthman radiallahu anhu passes away during the time of Ali radiallahu he's one of the... And as you'll see later on, there were people who even told him that you should stand up for the Khilafah after Uthman radiallahu He says, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So anyway, he stayed completely away. He stayed completely away. After Uthman ibn Affan passed away, his son Umar ibn Sa'ad told him that, look, you can even stand up for Khilafah because you're one of the six committees, part of the six committee of Shura of Umar. Another relative of his, one of his nephews, Hashim ibn Utbah, he said the same thing as well. But Sa'ad said, absolutely not. No way. So then Hashim, his nephew, he became, he took the pledge with Ali radiallahu He stayed in his house during this time. He, he didn't take part in the battle of the camel. He did not take part in the battle of Sifin. Neither did he take part during that arbitration, the tahkim, that caused another big issue afterwards. He told his family that do not even tell me anything that's going on until they all agree on one person. I just want to know when it all gets resolved. I want to know nothing in between. So difficult from today when you're just waiting for news. What's that message? What's going on? New message. New video again. Right? This is so-and-so's talk. Oh, he's on his side. He's on his side. Or oh, they've, just, they've just left. All of these guys have left the, the, the main headquarters. There was uh, another gathering in this place and there was this bayan given down there. This is the big problem. Allah Ta'ala save us. Allah protect us. He says, no, I don't want to know anything until it's all sorted out. Muawiyah and Ali both tried to get him on, to support them because he was a very prominent individual. But just like Abdullah ibn Umar and others, he refused. 
He said no to Ali and then when Muawiyah came to him as well, he said a number of lines of poetry to him. And he said, Ali has tried, you think if I've said no to him, you think I'm going to come to you? And he says no. And then the one thing about him was that uh, on one occasion he was, SubhanAllah, this is what the Prophet said. Prophet had said that a time will come when the best person is the one who will take his goats, his sheep, whatever, to the edge of a mountain and he will just be with them. That's what the Prophet had said. And this is exactly what he was doing. One of his sons, Umar, he came over from Medina Munawwara because he had moved outside of Medina Munawwara. He had a, fort, uh, uh, he had a, uh, he had a large estate outside Medina because a lot of children, I'll tell you about them afterwards. So he used to live slightly outside of Medina Munawwara. So one of his sons came and as soon as he saw him, he knew what kind of message he was going to bring. And he says, I seek refuge in Allah from the evil of this person who is mounted. When he came to him, he says, Oh my father, are you happy? Are you satisfied with just staying like a Bedouin among your sheep? You're satisfied with just being like a Bedouin among your sheep? When people are Disputing this so important matter in Medina Munawwara. So Umar uh, Sa'd radiallahu he struck him on the chest and he said, Uskut, he said, be silent. فَإِنِّي سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَقُولَ I've heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying that Allah Azza wa Jalla يُحِبُّ الْعَبْدَ التَّقِي الْغَنِي الْخَفِي Allama Zahabi relates this in his Seeru Alamin Nubala. He says, I have heard Rasulullah saying that Allah loves that servant who is righteous and pious, who is independent and who is concealed and hidden. Sa'ad radiallahu anhu said that I have done jihad and I know what jihad is. He was the commander of the Iraqi army. He says, I know what jihad is. And I will not fight in all of this, and I mentioned this before, I will not fight in this until somebody brings me a sword that has two eyes and a tongue, and it will tell me exactly who's a believer and who's not a believer. Who I am allowed to kill and whom not, I'm not allowed to kill. Basically, he's looking for a smart sword right, that will only attack the people who are worthy of being attacked. Aisha bin Sa'ad, his daughter, relates that once Sa'ad radiallahu anhu became sick in Makkah Mukarramah earlier on and he is actually the one who when he became very sick he thought he was going to die at that time and he went to the Prophet and he said I want to give all of my wealth away in Sadaqah and the Prophet said no you can't he said half he said not half he said one third he says okay fine I'll agree with one third there's a famous story about this I'll agree with one third and it's better for you to leave your children with something than to leave them begging other people that's where we get the hukum of wasiyat being allowed, a bequest being allowed up to one third of your wealth for other than your inheritors. Otherwise, two thirds have to go to your inheritors unless you give things away before your death. Anyway, he became very, very sick in Makkah Mukarramah. And he said, the Prophet ﷺ came to visit me and he passed his hands over my face, my chest and my stomach. And he said, Allahumma shfi Sa'dan. Oh Allah grant cure to Sa'd. After that, he said, I would constantly feel the coolness of the Prophet's hand on my liver until the last day. Like that was a constant feeling, it was a natural cooling of my liver, right? Natural system of cooling until the end. Bukhari and Nasai have related this, and so are the Habib. 
Ibn Abbas anhu said that the Prophet said to uh, about Sa'd during the Battle of Uhud, Allahumma stajibli Sa'd. Oh Allah, accept the du'as of Sa'd. He was a mustajabu da'wat. We already saw one story of how his du'a was accepted. The Prophet made this du'a three times for him during, on that time, at that time. That's why Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, he says that there was a, a person who used to constantly abuse Ali, Talha and Zubair. You know when all of this was going on? There was somebody who used to come and he used to abuse. You know, he is the one who likes to talk, always give criticism, right? Write articles, go on talk shows and all of these weird people you have all the time. He says he used to like to speak bad things about Ali, Talha and Zubair. And Sa'ad used to keep prohibiting him saying, don't do this, don't do this. He said to him, La taqa fi ikhwani. Don't say these things about my brothers. But he refused. So Sa'ad one day got up, made two rakats of salat, and he made a dua. A Bactrian camel, right, which is a specific type of a camel, a Bactrian camel, with, uh, I think, he has uh, uh, one hump. Right? A Bactrian camel, I think, has one hump. Right? Or they have two humps. Right? Anyway, a Bactrian camel. camel suddenly charged in, pushed this guy down onto the ground, and then dragged him. And now, Umar was, uh, Sa'ad was obviously making salat and dua. He didn't know this was happening. People rushed to him saying that, Oh Abu Ishaq, your dua has been accepted about this man. Everybody has to die and leave this world. His death, as the death of all beautiful people, happens in beautiful ways. As I said, he was the, the final muhajir to pass away, among all the muhajirin. When his death was near, he asked for a very, very old tunic, jubba, of his, that was made of wool. And he said, I want you to make my kafan in this. This you should be used as my shroud. Because this is what I used to confront the mushrikeen with during the battle of Badr. And this is what I was wearing at the time. And I've been keeping this for this day. Mus'ab ibn Sa'ad, his son, relates that my father's head was in my lap. So this is his son, he's cradling him. And he was breathing his last and I started to cry and he raised his head up to me and he said, Ay bunay, ma yubkik, what is making you cry, my son? He says, just what I'm seeing right now of you. He said, la tabk, la tabki, don't, don't cry. Don't cry. Allah is never going to punish me. Allah will never punish me. And I am the people of Jannah. What confidence, subhanAllah. What confidence. May Allah also give us this kind of satisfaction. You can't say this. These are, you know, when you're about to die, it's a very precarious, this is a precarious moment, you know. Very difficult moment, very sensitive time. When you start seeing reality, when you seeing when you will actually start seeing whether you've won your test or not, when this world has been worth it, your efforts in this world have been worth it. This is when the Prophet was saying, Bali Rafiq al-A'la. He knew what was going on. Yeah, there were pangs of there were the pangs of death, which is separate to your feeling of wanting to go. He says, Don't worry about it. And this is exactly what the Prophet said to his daughter. La karba ala abika She was saying, Wa karba aba. Oh, the pain of my father. And the Prophet said to her, Don't worry. There's going to be no difficulty and pain on your father after this day. And he goes the same way. 
His wafat, his death was during the time Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan. So much later. That's when he passed away in the 55th Hijri. So after all of these things had then finally been worked out and Muawiyah had taken the helm in, in Damascus and peace had come back into the world. He, he died in this place called Aqiq, in his fort in Aqiq, in his major estate, which was about 10 miles from Medina Munawwara. And he was carried on the shoulders of people in these 10 miles, he was carried to Medina Munawwara. Marwan ibn al-Hakam, Marwan ibn al-Hakam was the one who did the janazah because he was the wali, the governor of Medina under Muawiyah He died when he was just over 70, 70 something. The wives of the Prophet and those who were there, they said that we can't come out for his janazah prayer. We can't come out where you know his janazah prayer will come. So they were told to pass his janazah through the masjid. So that the wives that lived by the masjid, Ummahatul Mu'mineen, they could pray on him. Even they valued it. The day Sa'ad anhu passed away, he left approximately 250,000 dirham. Everybody had become more wealthy by that time. His zakat that he had just sent at that time to Marwan was 25,000 dirham. So if that's 40%, uh, if that's 2.5%, uh, 140th, then you can work out his estate at that time. Sa'ad radiallahu anhu was on the shorter side, but well built with a prominent forehead and well-endowed hands. His hair, he, he, he had hair on his body. He was a slight wheatish complexion and he used to have a dark dye. He used to dye his hair dark. Sa'adadiyan was known to have a very sharp eyesight even towards the end. Once he said, once he said look, look down there. Do you see something? And they said, yeah, it's just a bird. It was like a speck. It's just a bird. He said, no, that's somebody riding a camel. And then, yes, it was somebody riding a camel. He had very good eyesight. He left behind as a family. He had approximately 10 wives over the course of his life. 10 wives and um, and um, um, uh, uh, umul walads, which means, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, concubines from which he had children. So over the course of his life, he had 10. And subhanAllah, he had 18 sons and 18 daughters. Good, 18 sons and approximately 18 sons, approximately 18 daughters. But mashallah, what a life. What a life to go at the end like this, saying that subhanAllah, I've got nothing to worry about. And it's comforting somebody else, you don't have to worry about it today. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to follow in the footsteps of these people have the same zeal, have the same iman, the same strength and the same connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the same love and longing for the hereafter. But to accomplish something while we're in the dunya. Whatever you're doing, stay attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever you may be doing, people are always saying we have so much to do, we work all day, we have to earn a living, it's expensive. That's fine. But don't forget your dhikr of Allah. Don't forget your salat on time. These are the things that will help. These are the things that will work. These, this is what will keep the internal battery charged. Without it, we're just absolute worldlings. 
We have nothing to do with our angelic side. The human has a side of Bahimiya and a side of Malakiya. Every human being. That's we are made in this. Animals are just Bahimiya, which means they're just animalistic. That's it. We have an aspect of an angelic quality, which is our spirituality. Without Salat, you feel no good. You have the dunya at your hands. You have the latest gadgets in your pockets. And yet you will feel emptiness. Because fullness, accomplishment, the warmth of the heart, soundness of the heart, can only come with the remembrance of Allah. Through our salat, through our sitting, through our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what we need to keep. These people never forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They never forgot Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regardless of their situation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us acceptance to akhirul da'wana. Alhamdulillah.